أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعدوان إلا على الظالمين والعاقبة للمتقين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا First of all, once again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of our du'as. May Allah azawajal accept our qiyam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward the hifad for their recitation throughout the month. And um, subhanAllah, I think one of the things that we have to always take a step back with is that Allah azawajal is accessible throughout the year. We don't have to wait for this one night a year to feel that connection. So. The connection you feel in your home, ta'ala, in the corner of your room, could be just as great, just as blessed as what we experience when we do it together. But uh, I pray that there's blessing in it. And I was, I was sharing with Sheikh Yasser, and I'll start with this, inshallah, ta'ala, before we start with the reflections. I don't know if any of you remember how the English du'a started. It was actually spontaneous on the spot in our old masjid a few years ago. Sheikh Yasser said when we finished, he said, Sheikh Omar, why don't you make a du'a in English once we're done with the salah? So, Jazakallah Khair, Sheikh Yasser, I think um, it's, a, it's a testimony to the idea that people want to talk to God. <laughs> and sometimes they don't know how to. And I think that if this Ramadan, you know, all the reminders of du'a that we've had was not a reminder that talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most natural and organic way that you can. Stop worrying about the script, worry about the sincerity. And bidnillahi ta'ala, your connection will, will remain. And may Allah make us amongst those that are always connected to Him. Allahumma ameen. Uh, inshallah ta'ala, as we continue tonight, uh, tomorrow night, bidnillahi ta'ala, we'll be doing half a session of reading and then half a session of reflections from everyone else. Um, obviously, we're trying something new. You know, every year we want to hear from you all. And we, we love the reflections that come from you as well. Thankfully, alhamdulillah, today's chapter is a very optimistic chapter. Um, no, no, uh, <laughs> no awkward text today. Alhamdulillah, It's a connection, uh, it's actually Imam Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who by the way, um, he died on a Jum'ah in Ramadan, if I'm not mistaken. Did you remember, Shaykh, it was a Jum'ah? He died in Ramadan, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala. So we were talking about Husn al-Khitam and all these uh, struggles that he has with his soul that he gives us a window into. Abu al-Faraj, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, his du'as, very personal du'as, uh, look what Allah Azawajal granted him, right? A death in Ramadan, I believe on a Friday, buried next to Imam Ahmad rahimahullah ta'ala in Baghdad. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. Mm-hmm. So today's chapter is about ulu al-himma, but it's a very specific type of ulu al-himma. Ulu al-himma means higher ambitions, <laughs> higher ambitions. And it's a subject that you could approach from multiple angles. So it's a very specific angle that he takes today. And he starts with a du'a. قال رحمه الله تعالى دعوت يوما فقلت اللهم بلغني آمالي من العلم والعمل وأطل عمري لأبلغ أو لأبلغ ما أحب من ذلك so اللهم بلغني آمالي من العلم والعمل وأطل عمري oh Allah grant me my hopes what I wish from you what I ask of you in regards to knowledge and deeds and increase my lifespan increase my lifespan so that I may be able to achieve all of those things. So it's a very interesting du'a, right? He's asking Allah for certain goals that he has, and he's saying, increase my lifespan so that I can actually live long enough to achieve those goals. So then Iblis came to me, Shaitan came to me. He said, then what? Literally, right? So you see this often in this text, which I love, by the way, captured thoughts, is that 
he's talking about making a dua and then a waswasa coming and then telling Iblis basically to take a hike and actually you don't have to be nice to Iblis he's literally telling Iblis to go to hell okay it's, I mean it's, it's pretty much every single time right Iblis tells him something and he tells Iblis just get out of here right so Iblis says to him ثُمَّ مَاذَا أَلَيْسَ الْمَوْتِ then what you're just gonna die right so you're asking Allah to increase your lifespan so that you could have more ilm more deeds the things that you want in life and then what then you just die so what, what benefit do you get from having a long life? He actually insults, he, he says, you know, I don't, how would you translate abla? Like you foolish one, you idiot. Yeah, pretty much. So he tells Iblis, he tells him, ya abla. He said, if you knew what I really meant with my dua, like you're just, you just hear the words that I'm saying. But if you really knew what was beneath my words, then you would realize that this is not without purpose. He says that, isn't it that every single day that I live, my knowledge is increased? Like you see me living my life in purposelessness? This is the guy that wrote 16 pages a day, right? Do you see that every day that my life increases, then I increase in my ilm, I increase in my knowledge, and I increase in my ma'rifah. Ma'rifah is the close knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And ma'rifah is not something that you gather in pages in writing. I get closer to Allah. My knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases, so my closeness to Him does. So he says, so the amount of seeds that I plant, the amount of seeds that I plant grow. And so when I harvest on the Day of Judgment, I will have more to be grateful for. I'll have more that will come back to me, that will increase me when, uh, when, when I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَيَسُرُّنِي أَنَّنِي مِتُّ مُنْذُ عِشْرِينَ سَنَةً I'm sorry. أَفَيَسُرُّنِي أَنَّنِي مِتُّ مُنْذُ عِشْرِينَ سَنَةً Do you think it would make me happy to have died 20 years ago? لا والله. No by Allah. لِأَنِّي مَا كُنْتُ أَعْرِفُ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى عُشْرَ مَعْرِفَتِي بِهِ الْيَوْمِ Because if I would have died 20 years ago, I would not know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the love and closeness that I know Him today. So had I died 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been this close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَكُلُّ ذَلِكَ ثَمْرَةُ الْحَيَاءِ الَّتِي فِيهَا أَجْتَنَيْتُ أَدِلَّةَ الْوَحْدَانِيَّةِ وَارْتَقَيْتُ عَنْ حَضِيدِ الْتَقْلِيدِ إِلَى يَفَاعِ الْبَصِيرَةِ This is a little bit difficult to translate. So maybe Shaykh Yasser can help me. But he said, every single day, the fruits of a longer life have shown themselves and I have established Adillat al-wahdaniyyah, like further yaqeen, really further certainty, the, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His presence and His glory has become that much more manifest in my life. And so I was able to elevate myself from a place of blind following. Okay, so he uses the word taqlid here, and he's not just talking about taqlid in the madhabi sense, but I was able to elevate myself from just being a blind follower of knowledge to a person who has deep perception, basira, like I... I achieved certain things over this time. I was able to go forth and go from, taq, from a place of taqlid to a place of elevated basira, a place of elevated knowledge and perception with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And subhanAllah, he's saying that even from uh, the, his status, he said, my status increased with the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to me. So my soul became more precious. You know, you're talking about taking care of the self and then the vehicle being this body. 
right, that doesn't have much qadr, that doesn't have much of a value except for the soul. But he says, myself became more precious. And then my uh, seeds that I've been planting for the hereafter continue to increase. وَقَوِيَتْ تِجَارَتِي فِي إِنْقَاذِ الْمُبَادْلِعِينَ فِي إِنْفَادِ شَهْمَةِ فِي إِنْفَادِ Yeah, basically kind of like making sure the deals go through. Yeah, عندي خطأ في النسخة. I have a cough here. So فِي إِنْفَادِ الْمُبَادْلِعِينَ مِنَ الْمُتَعَلِّمِينَ So he says that what ended up happening is that the people, المُبَادْلِعِينَ are people that are shopping, right? بِلَاعَةَ inventory. So he's saying that the people that are searching, the students of knowledge that are searching, continue to come towards me. So he's saying that I increased in knowledge and Allah increased in my ma'rifah, in my closeness to him. And then as a result of that, people started to grow around me in terms of the students of knowledge. Allah said to the master of all messengers, and say, oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. And there is the authentic hadith in Sahih Muslim from Abu Huraira that the Prophet said that the believer is not increased in his lifespan except in good. That one of the signs of happiness is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increases a slave of his in lifespan and as a result of that brings him closer to him. You know, subhanAllah, it's like the opposite of, uh, you know, uh, uh, that the closer the, the day of judgment is coming, people are pushing it away and growing away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's saying, no, as for the believer, the believer only grows in closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So their inaba, Allah azza wa jalla increases their life and increases their inaba as well. And then this is like the most beautiful statement here. فَيَا لَيْتَنِي قَدِرْتُ عَلَىٰ عُمْرِ نُوحٍ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ He said, so I wish Allah would give me the lifespan of Nuh alayhi salam. فَإِنَّ الْعِلْمَ كَثِيرٌ Because knowledge is plentiful. وَكُلَّمَا حَصَرَ مِنْهُ حَاصِدٌ نَفَعَ وَرَفَعَ And he said, and every time you gain more of that knowledge, you benefit more and you rise more. So this is a, a beautiful chapter, subhanAllah, because what he's talking about is this idea of not asking for increase in this world for the sake of this world. And at the same time, not despising this world. You know, he's been talking about the hukuk, the rights of the body, the rights of the self, the rights of this dunya upon you. And Islam does not teach you to hate the things that Allah has blessed you with. Islam teaches you to take those blessings and instead of having a worldly attachment to them, turn them into blessings for the hereafter. Turn them into means of elevation for the hereafter. And so we see this with Zakariya <laughs> When did he ask Allah for a son? He asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a son when he became very old and he wanted a son because I see that um, there aren't descendants to carry on this noble mission of prophethood. And one narration, there's so little uh, descendants. So, that's why he's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a son. And this is one of the means of tawassul and dua actually that I didn't get to uh, speak about in the khatiras and in, in, uh, in, in the night khatiras and tarawih. But the idea of telling Allah what you're going to do with a good deed when you ask Him for it. Or when you ask Him for a blessing in this world. Ya Allah, give me wealth so I can spend it for your sake. Ya Allah, give me this so I can do this with it. Not just for the sake of a long life, not just for the sake of children, not just for the sake of all these different things. Ya Allah, give me so I can give back. Do for me so I can do for you.
This is the way that we call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah, I think uh, um, what we learned from this chapter, the Imam Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala is breaking away from what we've been studying earlier. I mean, for me, when you look at what we've been talking about for the past few nights, talking about hardships and difficulties, delayed response for your wishes and du'as and so on. And if someone keeps talking about, you know, going through hardships and difficulties, do you really expect them to wish for, for a longer life? I doubt it. Everybody will say, well, just like, what's the point? Just end it right now, inshallah, at the high point rather than try to wish for a longer life, and then I don't know what happens in the future. So here Ibn Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala is actually flipping that whole concept and bringing us back again to, hey, you need to wish for a longer life. You better wish for a longer life. No matter what you've been going through, you better wish for a longer life. Why? Because there is so much benefit in that long life if you have high aspirations. However, when we think about Ibn Jawzi rahimahullah, what he was introducing to us in terms of high aspirations, the first thing, the first line, Shaykh subhanAllah, you read, I'm just like, la ilaha la, look at these people, subhanAllah. How these people think, you know, completely out of the box, different than what average person would think about their high aspirations. Rasulullah sallallahu is telling us about um, the nature of man, the nature of mankind. He said, sallallahu alayhi wa The son of Adam will grow old. He said, the son of Adam will grow old. And two things will grow with them, which means the desire for two things will always grow with them. What are they, he says? قَالَ طُولُ الْأَمَلِ What he says, صلى الله عليه وسلم. قَالَ الْحِرْسِ وَطُولُ الْأَمَلِ الْحِرْسِ وَطُولُ الْأَمَلِ الْحِرْسِ means what? means to become more stingy with the dunya. Like you're so becoming more keen into acquiring the pleasure of this dunya. The little things that you have in your hand, the possessions of the dunya become so important, so valuable to you, much more valuable than before. The second thing, hope for a longer life and probably with no purpose, just to, be, to, live, to live longer. I mean, you're already in your 100 plus years probably, you still wish to live longer probably. So everybody would love to have that kind of long life as we grow older, but what do you want to fill this vessel with? That's the question. So Imam Ibn al-Jawza says, look, his high aspiration is what? He says it's way beyond our thinking. He wasn't thinking about fame or name or wealth or money or status. He goes, knowledge. I need to live longer to learn more. I mean, nowadays, we say knowledge is power, right? Which is true. That's what he's reflecting on. He says, look, the more I know, the more powerful my iman becomes. The more I'm conscious, the more I'm connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It gives me basira. Give me that insight. I know the evidences and the, of wahdaniyah, knowing more about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the more I know about Allah azza wa the more my iman will be strong and strengthened. So when I meet my Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm in a better position. Because I know him better. And I've did better in my life. So his high aspiration is still out and beyond this world. And that gives us, of course, hope. I'm now at, I've heard actually subhanahu statement talking about our time. He said, look, growing old is mandatory. But growing up is optional. <laughs> Everybody's going to get old. But are you going to mature with that? That's your choice. Similarly over here, Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimahullah, they're almost saying the same thing. Look, we can all grow as old as Nuh, alayhi salam, if Allah wills. But how many of us will grow like Nuh, alayhi salam? That's the question. Having the age of Nuh, Allah can give it to you. But how many of us will choose to live the life of Nuh in such a very long age? That is what the challenge is going to be 
And that's what Imam Ibn al-Jawz has given us hope of it. He said, look, if you're going to live a long life, you wish for life, you better wish for the right thing for it. If you wish for life just to increase in this dunya and entertain yourself and enjoy more of this and more of that of matters of the dunya, in comparison to what Allah prepared for you in the akhirah, you're just wasting your time in this life. But since Allah subhanahu wills for me to live longer over here, let me get the best out of it. Okay, so what, are, what is the best out of this life right now? So he is trying to direct our mind to think about what is it that you're going to get to the highest value from this life. And to him he says, knowledge. Have the knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that will help you have that amal, that good deeds, will make your life meaningful. And when you meet the Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, you've acquired the best thing in this dunya and in the akhirah. That's right, Shaykh subhanAllah, Imam Hassan Basri rahimahullah. He actually says the du'a when you say, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, fi akhirati hasana wa qina adab nar Oh Allah, grant us the best of this life and the best of the hereafter and protect us from the punishment. He says, fi dunya hasana, ay ilman nafi'a, wa rizqan tayyiba, wa amina mutaqabbala. What, what you're asking Allah for when you ask Allah for the best of this life is not a nice house and a nice car per se. It's not like this worldly uh, you know, things, a takathur, quantity of things. You're asking Allah for beneficial knowledge, uh, pure sustenance, so that what you are earning is not getting in the way of what you are seeking to earn of Jannah. And accepted good deeds so that what you are putting forth for the hereafter actually achieves its goal. So that's what a good life actually means. And there's, there's something, you know, you brought up a modern day um, sentiment here. It's very interesting when you read this chapter from our lens in the 21st century, mm. because with the medical advancements that we have today, the possibility of extensions on life from a, from a material sense, right? Is, is groundbreaking Absolutely. and revolutionary. Absolutely. But one of the things that you'll find that, you know, people, you know, ethicists, I hope I said that right, it's late at night, are writing about these days um, in terms of ethics is the idea of, okay, let's say that we can start getting people to, like we can start planting all types of different hearts in people and, you know, and keep on repairing the body, repairing the body, repairing the body. But what type of quality life is that gonna be? You know, eventually you get someone aging to, 120, 130 years old, let's say that becomes norm. But like, what's left of the person, right? Why this sort of race to transcend humanity? And transhumanism, by the way, is a very serious thing, right? Trying to transcend our humanity, okay? And become superhuman, super being, right? So that we can elevate ourselves. What type of quality of life are you actually gonna have? So the ethical perspective, and then, you know, subhanAllah, limitations of resources. Like you're actually, what if you start to have a discussion, and this is actually something showing up in academic literature where, okay, let's say that humanity is able to preserve itself. We're already having a problem with resources and climate and greed and those types of things. So, you know, if people are living longer and you start having that issue, then that's another thing that's going to happen, right? The, the, the way that the resources of this earth are distributed. And then the last thing that came to my mind uh, with this, uh, Sheikh, is uh, SubhanAllah, you know, age, when you look at these ulama, most of them died at like 38, 42. And <laughs> Most of them did not live long lives. Most of them died very young. They started much younger and they died young as well. And this is actually something profound that Allah says on the day of judgment, Yusadu an umrihi. Okay? You're gonna be asked about your age, but not how old are you? What did you do with your life? What did you do with your age? You know, there are people that died, subhanAllah, in their early 20s, 
that achieved massive things. I'm not just talking about things that make it to the books in this life. I'm talking about things that make it to the books in the next because that's the legacy that we seek. Not just that they're history makers and that their names are solidified in history. But when we say age is, is nothing but a number, in the Sharia, what that means is just like property and wealth. Those that have failed to make use of their property and wealth, they say, I have more money than you, I have more property than you, and they use it as a form of boasting. And having more years under your belt is not a source of pride if you're not using them properly. And the Prophet was belittled, right? The, the Ansar, they were looked at, and they were like all these kids, right? What are these Ansar going to do, these young kids from Aus and Khazraj in their 20s? What are they going to do? Ashar Mubashireen. Six of them were like 18 years old when they became Muslim. Uh, and you know, Abbas, one of my favorite statements, I know, I know you probably know where I'm going with this. And Abbas was asked, who's older, you or the Prophet you know, like this is a this is a really awkward question because technically speaking, he's older than the Prophet So he says, I was born before him, but he's 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 akbar. He's older than me. He's bigger than me. I happen. My date of birth happens to be earlier than his date of birth. But like, I can't even bring myself to say I'm bigger. I'm older than the Prophet because. What Allah has blessed him with in that vessel, subhanAllah, at that age is, is really profound. And we see that with the young people in our history. So especially the youth that are here, one of the biggest, one of the biggest flaws of how we view age is that the young person says, I have time to get started. And then the old person says, I wish I would have had time. I wish I would have taken advantage of it then. So why even wait? If you're young enough, stop waiting. Stop looking around and saying, well, people my age tend to be here now, right? No, no, no. Surpass, like Ibn Abbas did, the son of Al Abbas. I mean, can you imagine? 16 years old, Habrul Ummah. He was called the scholar of the Ummah at the age of 16 years old. His house was the first university in Islam. Aisha, one time she was walking by, and Abdullah ibn Abbas, whose house, I mean, people used to line up in front of his house to get in from him. And he didn't actually have even a very uh, big physical stature. So one time he was leading the companions in Salah and Aisha anha said, go pull up his sirwal. Like he was so small, his, his like pants were like starting to sag. You know, like his body, physical body. He, wasn't, he was a young man, but like so full of knowledge. Umar anhu said about Ibn Mas'ud anhu, kunayifun muriya ilma. Like he's like a, a teapot full of knowledge, right? So like these people that are full of ilm, and then I've made use of their time. So make use of your time. Zakallah subhanahu wa ta'ala about Aisha radiallahu ta'ala particularly. Uh, when it comes to the quality of life, we think that quality of life is usually just uh, the physical. You're unable to eat, you're unable to travel, unable to do things and so on. Like physically, you're unable to do that stuff. But that's not just uh, what we're talking about. Sometimes the quality of life is the kind of you know, social life you have around you, the kind of, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of environment that is around you. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala, and one of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that she, when the Prophet married her, she was young. And one of the reasons the ulama, they say, why? Because she became a vessel of knowledge at such a very young age, subhanAllah. So she lived long enough to, to grow up to become in, in her 60s, radiallahu ta'ala, and when she passed away, the majority of the Sahaba, if not all the Sahaba, that generation that she grew up with, were all gone. We're all gone. And imagine this, subhanAllah. Imagine you start, you start reaching certain age, and as a matter of fact, I was talking to my wife about this, subhanAllah, I said, 
May Allah bless our community, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Um, we said like we've been here in this community for the past 12 years and we've seen some of our members, mashallah, growing up and our kids now leading us in Taraweeh and this and that. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And now we start realizing that some of our elders are actually kind of passing into their next life. Slowly and gradually, it's just like, wow, if we wait another 10 years, I wonder who's yeah. going to be left from our original uh, generation that we're living in. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala one day, uh, she looked around and she trying to figure out who's around her. She found nobody from whom she knew uh, from before. They're all the new generation. So she goes, Like those who, you know, they deserve to live among them are all gone. And I feel just like, uh, like something odd in this generation, basically. So yeah, those who wish to always live, live a longer life and so on for this dunya, they're gonna come to a point where they probably hate themselves. But those who would like to enjoy that, that life that Allah subhanahu wa blessed them with, if you make it purposeful life, and you particularly fill that with, with knowledge and amal, salih, then you will probably gonna wish to live longer and longer so you can benefit yourself more in terms of knowledge and benefit others as well. Speak about the ulama, Shaykh. Yeah, some of the ulama, there are a lot of beautiful statements from the ulama. Uh, one of the most beautiful things he says, قال لو يعلم الملوك وأبناء الملوك ما نحن فيه من النعمة والله لقاتلون عليها بالسيوف. He goes, if the kings and the children of the kings would know the blessing, the scholars and students of knowledge, the blessings that we are indulging in, that the blessing of Allah subhanahu being in that kind of path, of seeking knowledge and ilm and spirituality and so on. He said, they will, they will go after us. They will fight us with their swords to get that blessing from us. Because he's saying, look, their lifestyle is unfortunately depriving them from getting where we are and enjoying what we do. So enjoyment of life becomes a, a relative matter, really. Some people, they see the, the pleasure of this dunya, the higher aspiration is what? To earn money at such a very young age, like many of our younger people today, subhanAllah, that's what they tell me, it says, and everybody wants to go and start you know, investing in, in the stock market and, and go to, you know, put some money in uh, Robinhood and, 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 and see if they can, GameStop, you know, can uh, help them with that stuff. Oh, we just went a different direction, so he had about finance. Where's the investment? But all what I'm saying, look, investment is halal, Jama'a. There's nothing wrong with investing in that which is halal. There's no doubt about it. But when the aspiration of our young generation becomes to retire at 25, <laughs> that worries me too much. It really worries me so much. They, at 30 years old, they would like to have, mashallah, their penthouse in New York City, and they have a chalet in Miami, and uh, God knows where else as well. Hopefully, inshallah, at that time, share in Mecca and Medina. <laughs> but people, they have different aspirations, obviously. Those who are looking for that in that route, they, they might get it. They might really get it. At 30 years old, mashallah, they have this dunya. But then, alhamdulillah, the quality of life that we see today in terms of medical advancement and helping people to live longer and better life in terms of, you know, health and so forth. But then, what's the quality of that life? With a lot of anxiety, such at a very young age, you accomplished everything and what you're aspiring for right now. It's so hard. That's why. What really helps you go through this world, knowing that it's so enjoyable, is if you can have an experience out of this world. Literally. Which is why, ironically, Ramadan, 
the spirituality of Ramadan is so enjoyable. Going for Umrah, when you take a break from your busy life and go to Umrah, and go and visit Medina for a few days and a few days in Mecca, and you start crying your eyes out, you don't want to come back. Why is that? Because what you experience is something out of this world. And that thing is just like, wow, there's no really, there's no ulterior motive to it in this dunya, really. It's something out of this world. This experience is unique. And when Imam Ibn Jawzi is speaking about high, having your high aspirations and seeking proper knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and of his deen and practicing that, he's talking about this experience that is it's out of this world. And if you have never really experienced that, I would love for you to try it out. Honestly, yeah. probably maybe you experienced that in the university when you study, subhanAllah. Yeah. We had all these beautiful moments sometimes. And I remember when we used to study with Shaykh Rautameen, and sorry to make this tangent actually, when we studied with Shaykh Rautameen, rahimahullah ta'ala, uh, it was, it was such, a, such an, a, a pleasure and enjoyment really to spend your day and night just going around him, where he's going to be teaching, what is he going to be doing, and just having those beautiful moments with him. I remember one time he gave a talk actually after Salat between Maghrib and Isha in the Masjid. And when he was done, so we were walking out with him from the, from the Masjid. And we didn't have our shoes with us or nothing, just holding our books and walking with him to hear more questions. And then we realized somebody was talking to the Shaykh on the side. And as young students, we're just waiting, waiting to see what's going to happen. What is he what talking about? Then suddenly we, we saw the Shaykh about to ride into a car. It's actually, uh, it's uh, almost like a van or something like that. And then the Shaykh, he goes like this. Which means, whoever wants to come with me, come. Oh God. <laughs> this was almost like a stampede, really. <laughs> we didn't care about shoes, we didn't care about head cover, everything was flying. Joining in that car, and we had the pleasure to be in his car and ask him questions, subhanAllah, on a journey to go to another place to give another talk. But I can tell you, those, those maybe 15, 20 minutes ride, they were unbelievable. And I still remember one of the questions somebody asked him, it's another tangent, sorry about that, but no, sir, take your time. this is the pleasure of seeking knowledge of Jama'ah. So one of the students in the back was asking Sheikh, said, Sheikh, is it halal to eat elephant? <laughs> and we're just like, what? <laughs> Why is it so, it doesn't even exist in Saudi Arabia, Jama'ah. Why would you worry about eating elephant? But it was an interesting question. We wanted to know exactly what was answered. He goes, he goes, he himself was surprised. He goes, what? Because elephants? I said, yeah, Sheikh, is there allowed to eat elephant? So Sheikh, he paused and he goes, he goes, I don't think so. And I was like, why? Why not, Sheikh? He says, because they have tusks. And those tusks, they count like uh, fangs in animals. Well, the Prophet said, you're not allowed to eat animals with these fangs. And somebody was trying to debate with the Sheikh. He said, but Sheikh, they're just uh, herbivores. They don't eat meat. They don't de-. He says, no, they have tusks. You can't eat them. And that something was a very private session we had with the Sheikh on this matter. And he had another opinion about tajweed, by the way, just to let you know, yani, subhanAllah. His tajweed, his, his, his opinion in tajweed, he goes, because somebody asked, he says, yeah, Sheikh, what's the ruling on, uh, uh, on learning tajweed? He goes, tajweed? He said, yes. He goes, uh, it's not important. And for us, it's just like, whoa, what did he say? That was a shocking thing. We started the Quran with our teacher, mashayikh and ulama, and we spent so much time learning tajweed. He said, no, it's not important. He goes, as long as you can read the Quran properly, you're good, you're fine. Anything else is extra. He's like, oh, okay. Now I understand why. But subhanAllah, I, the reason I mentioned this story is because I don't know how to describe the pleasure of those moments that you experience when you go with, with the Shaykh like this in a private any car, that you cherish 
after all these years as memories that definitely it's out of this world. This question, I don't think the Sheikh was ever asked actually publicly. Probably you are the, the first people right now even to hear the answer from a first person يعني, experience, subhanAllah. So the himma, the high aspiration, if you take it for an experience out of this world, is going to make this life, no matter how long it is, so beautiful. I think um, I'll, what, I'll, what I'll do, Sheikh, I, I want to tie it back to the idea of what does it have to do with ulu al himma? No. Um, what angle do we have to having higher aspiration here? And I think that the point that's, that's really important here is that if a person is pursuing Allah's pleasure, then everything in this dunya becomes a means of attaining that pleasure. And so, ulu al himma is what Sulaiman represents. Rabbi habli mulkan. Mm. Oh Allah, grant, you know, forgive me and then grant me a kingdom that is customized. No one else will ever have this kingdom before or after me. Did Sulaiman just want to have a comfortable life? Right? Sulaiman saw all of this as a means of establishing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness on earth, his kingdom on earth. And so none of it, like at no point does Sulaiman say, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying this palace, I'm really enjoying all of this that Allah has given. It's, you see even, subhanAllah, in the stories of Sulaiman the constant himma, that constant ambition to do more, to do more, to do more, to spread, to spread, to spread. And one of the, um, you know, one of, one of the famous stories about him, in this regard, is that he was once walking, and I, I tell this story because it's so, it's so profound and beautiful. Uh, in fact, Ibn Jawzi uh, reflects on this in other places. This riwayah that Sulaiman was walking with his entire kingdom. And when Sulaiman used to walk with his kingdom, I mean, it was like a scene. It was a sight to behold. Like when you think about the entourage of a king that comes through, right? Everyone can kind of pause and, and just appreciate that. Like Sulaiman was walking with the human kingdom, the animal kingdom, the insects, the, the, the birds, the jinn. Like when he's walking, <laughs> like that's some entourage, unlike anything that anyone's ever seen before. And he's not walking with his chest out like this, right? Like a humble man that's constantly thinking like, what's next for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like he never was deceived by it. And there was one of the worshippers, right? Just an abid that used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he's looking at him and he says, Ya Ibn Dawood, like he's, he's, he's saying it to himself, but Sulaiman Aysam heard him. He said, man, what an amazing kingdom you have. So the Imam Ali said, wait, everyone stop. And he said, who just said that statement? Because there were some ubad, some worshippers that were kind of on the side when he was walking by. He said, who said that? So the man said, it was me. And he said to him, Wallahi, at-tasbih, one tasbih fi sahifati Muslim, one subhanallah on the page of a Muslim, is better than all that you see here that's been given to Ibn Dawood. He said, or he said, He said, all that you see given to the son of David, يذهب. this is all going to go away. When we die, you and I go into the ground, you see this whole entourage and kingdom, gone. But the tasbih will stay. Your subhanAllah will be a palace in Jannah. Like, don't be deceived by this. So the higher ambition, if you have that higher ambition, every single attainment in this life becomes a means of a higher attainment in the next. If you don't have that higher ambition, if you don't have that higher ambition, you'll be constantly both disappointed and deluded. Why disappointed? Because the more Allah gives you, you're still sad. Like, wait a minute, like I could swear, like I thought like I'm gonna pursue this and if I get this achievement, if I get this spouse, if I get this house, if I get this career, if I get this car, if I get this, 
I'm going to be happy, right? And I'm still empty. Maybe I need more. So let me keep on trying to get more and more. Why am I still so empty? So if you don't have higher aspirations and higher ambitions, Allah will keep on giving you this dunya and you're not, it's not going to fill the void and that will just frustrate you and delude you further. And the last thing I'll say, Shaykh, and then I'll pass it to you and then maybe we can take questions, inshallah. Um, a community of ambition. Uh, I think it's important when you, like, there's this, there is such a thing as ambitious community and that's the Sahaba of the Prophet They were a community of zuhud, a community of asceticism. You know, uh, Imam Abu Hassan al-Nadwi rahimahullah ta'ala, he describes the moment where the army of Sa'ad and Salman, may Allah be pleased with them, go into the Tigris River, in and out, with all of their belongings, their horses. And Allah made it a karama for them, a miracle for them, that the entire Muslim army went into the deep river and came out, and they didn't even lose a pan. <laughs> like they rose from that river, none of them drowned, none of their horses drowned, they didn't even lose a, a, a pan. And the, 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 the Persians started to shout, Shayateen, Shayateen, and they ran away uh, because they were just terrified. Like, what did we just witness? And Abu Hassan al Nadwi rahimahullah said, but what was more impressive about the companions of the Prophet was that they entered into this, this uh, sea of dunya and they came out of it and they were completely dry, like when they entered into the river. Like, it didn't taint them. They weren't tainted by materialism, they weren't affected by that materialism. So they brought back. You know, the rugs of Kisra and the palace, you know, all the things that they took from Kisra. And they were excited to put it back in Baytul Mal, into the treasury. They weren't trying to steal and confiscate, like they weren't deluded by that. So a community of ambition is actually a thing. And that is what makes the companion special. And I'll end with one narration. It's, it's, it was narrated that Ali ta'ala anhu. Someone went to Ali, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and they criticized him and said, you know, basically comparing him to Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, saying you're not like Abu Bakr and Umar, like what they achieved in their khilafah was much greater than what you achieved in your khilafah. And you know what he told them? He said, Abu Bakr and Umar had followers like me. I have followers like you. <laughs> like so, <laughs> I mean, that was like a real moment. Like it wasn't just the quality of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman. May Allah be pleased with all of the companions of the Prophet mm-hmm. But it's the quality of a generation, like a people. And like you became busy in fitna and, and just silliness, right? Like as a generation, we kind of lost our way. And so ulu al-himma for a community is a thing as well. How do we become an ambitious ummah, an ambitious community that's thinking about Islam in the future, not just thinking about my kid getting into med school and this person doing this and this person do that. I want to give my, my, my next generation the best, by the way, not that there's anything wrong with med school, I'm just being real, or your kid's going to med school. It's just that I think ambitiously about Islam in America. And I, I hope, inshallah, imagine 40 years from now, people saying, la ilaha illallah in this message. Imagine the next expansion and the next expansion. And you know, the, the, the way that Islam grows and thrives. Be a community of ambition as well that's not deluded just by the material gains of this world. I want to add one more thing in regards to having this actually high ambition and aspiration as an individual. It's all really about seizing the moment, really. It's all about seizing that moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring moments in your life and each one of them could be the turning point in your life if you really seize that moment. If you have the high aspiration and the high ambition for it in the right direction. So an example, for instance, we learn from the sin of the Prophet when a young man served the Prophet on a journey. So uh, after the, at the end of the journey, the Prophet graciously wanted to gift something to this young man. He says, uh, sell me. 
says, uh, wish for something that I can give you. Like, what do you want me, how do you want me to thank you? I want to be grateful to you. So what can I do for you? Now, if you were in that position, what would you ask the Prophet right? So this young man, he goes, I want to be your companion in Jannah. Can you can imagine the high aspiration of Jamaa? He didn't ask, I want something, I want to this. He goes, I want to be your, uh, your friend in Jannah. What does that exactly mean? If he was given that, what does that exactly mean? He had a shortcut to paradise, it's over. So the Prophet وسلم, he, he couldn't grant him that. So he said, Can you ask for something else I can give you? Like, I can't guarantee this to you. I mean, help me out here. He goes, that's all, thank you. <laughs> like, you give me this, you don't want to give me anything else? I appreciate that, thank you. So he put the Prophet in a difficult situation, right? <laughs> but subhanAllah, the answer we got for this young man is something that we all appreciate of today. The Prophet told him, okay, fine, if you want this, then a'inni ala nafsika bi sujood. Help me get you there by praying so much. Which means pray more. Today, alhamdulillah, Ramadan is a proof that you can pray more. You guys have prayed 20 rak'ah today. Maybe you haven't done that in Ramadan yet, except for this night, probably. And you did that more even during Nafil and Sunnah and Tahit al-Masjid and so on in Ramadan. You prayed a lot of these Sunnahs, right? When Ramadan is over, what are you going to do about it? What's your high aspiration right now? Are you going to go backward or are you going to go upstream again and now elevate yourself to the next level? I've reached, alhamdulillah, where I can maintain my Sunnah, my Nafil. What's your next level? What's your aspiration right now? Why don't we try this young man's uh, uh, high ambition to be the Prophet's companion in Jannah? And you've been given that, that door and key in your own hand to pray more. So that's one example. That when you, are, when, you, when, you, when you have a moment, seize that moment. And as they say, you only see, what you only see is what you see. If you see it, you'll be able to seize it in your hand. But if you don't see yourself at that level, and you always look at yourself, you know, I'm not worthy of this, I'm not worthy of that, you will never get where you're supposed to be in terms of knowledge, practice, and so on. If you keep telling yourself, well, I'm not that knowledgeable person. I can never read the Quran. I wasn't born Arab, so I can read the Quran. But stop doing this thing to yourself. Stop self-loathing. Have a high aspiration. Be at this, like this man was given an opportunity. He just jumped on it immediately. There's another example. The example when the Prophet ﷺ was, gifted, uh, was given a gift of milk. And back then, milk for them is just like a full meal to us today, really. It's not like just a cup of milk. No, it's really a meal for them. So the Prophet ﷺ was gifted that cup of milk. So he gathered it in his hand. And he took some of it, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. First, he grabbed he, to give the barak of that milk, so he drank some of it, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then he looks at his right side; he finds a young boy. And the left side, he had the elderly on the on the other side. So usually, the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu is you hand the cup to the who are on your right side, right? But at the same time, you should you should always you know start with the elders before you get to the kids, right? So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam out of uh, uh, yani, and his polite akhlaq and manners and etiquette, he wanted to seek the, the, the permission from the young boy. He goes, uh, <clears throat> do you mind if I give uh, uh, the elderly first? And the boy says, nope. <laughs> and the Prophet is just kind of like, <laughs> what kind of answer is that? He goes, la uth- la uthiru. I'm not going to prefer anyone else with the barakah of your drink first. Like, I want to have the barakah first before anybody else. Such a high aspiration, Jamaah. These people, they look for opportunities. He was sitting next to the Prophet ﷺ and who has gotten, got a chance of this. He didn't, he didn't say, yeah, sure, he's my uncle or he's my grandfather, whatever. He didn't say that. He goes, no, 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 I'm not going to prefer anybody with the barak of your drink. I'll take first. So the Prophet ﷺ, he kind of like, he, he admired him for that actually. 
and he pushed the milk in his hand, he goes, grab it, like you earned it, go for it. And that's how the Prophet was encouraging people. Today, unfortunately, our high aspiration for our kids is just worldly matters, really. It might take them this far in the dunya, but after that, beyond that, where are you going to go with this? They might become the successful person in terms of dunya, as you wish them to be. But is that going to get them where they have the experience out of this world, where they find that peace and tranquility in this life and so on? That's something we need to think about. Finally, the last example, the example of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu What an unbelievable example. Abdullah ibn Abbas was the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu right? And Maymuna, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu was his aunt. So he was the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu He was the son of Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu and he also was, you know, he was the, the, the nephew of his wife, Maymuna radiallahu ta'ala Basically, Ibn Abbas, he had access to, what should I call it, the doors of knowledge, right? All of it. And he captured that. In every opportunity, you read Ibn Abbas when he was young, he's around the Prophet sallallahu Every time. One of those moments when the Prophet sallallahu was sleeping in the house of Maymuna, and Ibn Abbas was there. He slept there with them. He, he said he was pretending to be sleeping to see how the Prophet spends his night. So the Prophet he waited until he thought Ibn Abbas was asleep. And then he told Maymuna, Hal nam al ghulam Is the boy asleep? She looked at him, she goes, yeah, he is. So the Prophet quietly, he got up and he wiped sleep off his eyes and his face, made a recitation of ayat from the end of Surah Al-Imran. And then he made a quick wudu, sallallahu alayhi and then he said, Allahu Akbar. The moment the Prophet said, Allahu Akbar, Ibn Abbas got up. So the Prophet didn't say, no, no, you go to sleep. It's over, khalas, he got up. Then he did the exact same thing. He copied the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi made a quick wudu, and then he came standing behind, next to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa he, he stood next to the Prophet on the left side, which is what we know to be the Imam's position. So the Prophet grabbed his head, and some say from his ear, and turned him around to the other side. Now we learn this story from this, this young boy in this moment. And we all know the hadith, Ya Ghulam, Ihfadullah, Ihfadullah. Oh Ghulam, oh young boy, preserve Allah's limit, Allah will preserve you, and so on and so. Also, when the Prophet saw so how eager he was to learn the Quran, he, he just embraced him, he hugged him, he squeezed him, he goes, Allahumma faqquhu fi deen wa'allimhu tawil. Ya Allah, give him the understanding in this deen and the interpretation of the Quran. So he became the greatest interpreter of the Quran, This young boy, this young boy had a, a partner from the Ansar. And I co- conclude with this, inshallah. Just want you the different in, in aspirations and ambitions. So he said, I had a friend from the Ansar. And that friend from the Ansar, he says, um, every time I want to go and, and, and learn and go to grab the, the, the reign of Mu'ad ibn Jabal, a senior Sahabi to him, learning from him, this Ansari kid, he tells him, come on, man, let's go and play. With the pigeons, right? Huh? Let's go play with pigeons. Let's go pl- play with pigeons. <laughs> no, which is, what is today for equivalent to that probably? I don't want to say any games, right? Yeah. Switch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go and play switch, basically, right? <laughs> Ibn Abbas he goes, just leave me alone, please. Dani. And he goes and he wants to go and learn. So his Ansar friend, he tells him, he goes, come on. Who do you think you are? Do you think people one day, the people are going to come to you to learn from you? That's what he told Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas, he goes, so I left him out. I just cannot forget it. This guy keeps dragging me down. 
Not too long after that, Ibn Abbas, like Sheikh mentioned about his halaqat, people will be standing and sitting way out there, out of the masjid, out of the house, waiting for a place to come and sit in front of him, subhanAllah. So one day, that same Ansari kid who became an adult, he passed by this halaqa. He goes, لَقَدْ كَانَ هَذَا الْغُلَامَ عَقَلَ مِنِّي This kid was smarter than me. Because this kid was smarter than me. I wish, like basically, I, I went with him. So you have same generation, two people, with the same opportunity to learn from Mu'adh ibn Jabal, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Umar ibn Khattab. But we hear so many stories about Abdullah ibn Abbas with Umar ibn Khattab, with Ali, with this, with this Sahaba, that you've seen a Sahaba learning from them. The high aspiration that Imam ibn Joseph was talking about, he learned, and that knowledge that he gained gave him the status in the dunya and in the akhirah, inshaAllah. I want to comment on ibn Abbas. There are so many life lessons you can take from that, right? Just the fact like, especially those of you that are teenagers or young and you got your friends and they kind of drag you down. Like this is your time to get ahead. This is your time to get a head start. When you're younger, it's your time to actually get a head start. But on top of that, like looking at the documentation of his ilm, that's one thing. Uh, you know the hadith of Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu was narrated by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. You know what makes that so stunning? Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was the same age asking him, can you tell me how you became Muslim? <laughs> I mean, the story of Salman anhu in Persia and all that is because Ibn Abbas, just imagine this 13-year-old sitting in front of him taking notes. Hey, can you tell, you know, mashallah, this, this elderly Persian man that is, the Prophet some calls him from Ahl al-Bayt, from his family. I mean, he has such a status. You know, like, Ammu, can you tell me when you became Muslim, how you became Muslim? What happened? And Salman dictates the whole story to him. That's captured. You're reading that story. We teach classes about it. That's from that 13-year-old boy that could have been playing with pigeons that was instead sitting in front of Salman capturing that knowledge from him and then transmitting it to us along with, by the way, 1,600 plus other ahadith of the Prophet that he learned from him. Those are the authentic ones that made us where the Sanad is mutasil. I mean, it's incredible. And one thing about Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, because you talk about a community of aspiration. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not impressed by, uh, by worldly accolades, even though he had the most to gain from them. Mm. Like Umar radiallahu anhu was the flag bearer of Quraysh before he became Muslim. He was strong, he was handsome, he was eloquent, he was everything that, that, that you would want in a person, right? Like, I mean, he had all the worldly the worldly things that he could boast about, right? Umar could boast about his poetry, he was literate, he could boast about his time in the battlefield. He could boast and boast and boast and boast. One of the things about Umar very, very difficult to impress. Super difficult to impress. And he was only impressed by ilm. Like he loved people of knowledge. And he loved young people of knowledge. And by the way, you know the story of Umar reading Surah Taha and coming to the Prophet He's like 25 years old when that's happening, by the way. He's not the age of Abu Bakr and the Prophet He's younger, right? So he's a young man in his 20s when this is all happening. But you find it, the stories of, uh, I think we mentioned it already, but, but I love this story. And we could, you know, with the Abadirah, because the Abadirah are the young Abdullahs. May Allah make our Abdullahs like them. People say, Ameen. I need you to make dua for my son, all right? So the, 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 the Abadila were the young Abdullahs around the Prophet right? And they all lived long lives, subhanAllah. They all lived very long lives and taught the Ummah. And so you see Umar anhu had a role to play with all of the Abadila. Like he was the mentor of all of the Abadila. They all go back to him. He's kind of the guy that raised them all. Like you go back to that coach 
It's Umar anhu. So Abdullah ibn Abbas like Umar anhu, put him in a high place, answering questions, fiqh, fatawa. Some of the senior companions didn't like that. And so Umar anhu would humble them by asking a question to the majlis that only Ibn Abbas could answer and then telling them, see, that's why I prefer him over you. So he asked them about the tafsir of إِذَا جَاءَ نَصُّ اللَّهِ وَالْفَاتِحُ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسِ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَجَ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْهُ إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابًا That the, the context of the surah. So he asked all these seniors, that, what does فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْهُ mean? Why, why did Allah command the Prophet ﷺ to uh, glorify Allah and seek his forgiveness at that point? And they all gave an answer about, you know, accomplishment and those types of things. And Ibn Abbas is quiet. Umar said, what do you say? He said, this was the death announcement of the Prophet Allah was making it known to him. And he said, see, he's right. Why? Because Ibn Abbas studied and he came to know. And Ibn Abbas said, I know why every ayah in the Qur'an was revealed in one. <laughs> Talk about ilm. Every ayah of the Qur'an, Ibn Abbas said, I knew why it was revealed, when it was revealed, and all the meaning. Like he could talk about understanding and tarawih and reciting. Like I know when exactly it was revealed. And it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the Prophet after the fatah that you have accomplished what we have put you to accomplish on this earth. Now at this point, turn in tasbih and istighfar. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to see you in the next direction. And then you have the story of Abdullah ibn Zubayr which is like one of my favorite stories of all time. Where Umar is walking in the street and Abdullah ibn Zubayr was a young man, but like a strong young man, you know? And the kids used to run away from Umar because he was like Paul Bunyan, like huge, right? He's like walking in the street and like shaking the ground when he walks and like kids were like afraid that they were going to get in trouble. And Abdullah ibn Zubayr is standing there and he's just looking like what? He didn't move. And Umar kneels down to him and he says, aren't you going to run away like the other kids? And he said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, I don't feel like this road is too small to fit both you and I. Like, I don't, there's enough space on this road, I don't see why I have to move <laughs> like the other kids. And Umar he bursts out in joy, he says, Hada ibn Abi, this is the son of his dad, he's just like his Zubayr, I love this kid. So he starts celebrating Abdullah ibn Zubayr, like what a strong kid, like that's the spirit. I didn't want him to run away, I wanted to teach him strength. So the mentorship, subhanAllah, of these young people of Himma, Umar had a strong hand and those abadira and what they grew up to become as well as leaders in the ummah, he didn't hinder it. And sometimes I think as a community, uh, my last comment on community ambition, because I want us to take that, I think we hinder our, like when our kids come forth and they want to do stuff, they want to be involved, they want to ask questions, they want to volunteer, they, sometimes we put them down, like put them in their place. We shouldn't do that. We have to obviously sometimes redirect and be gentle. Even the Prophet used to send kids home that wanted to fight in battle. Right, but in a gentle way, in a way that he loved them and appreciated them. But no, he's like you're too young for this. He's, I'm not going to be a reckless leader, but a compassionate leader. We should facilitate those ways of growth for young people with ambition, inshallah, and teach them that it's good to have ambitions and cultivate those ambitions, inshallah. Not just in matters of dunya, Shaykh. Yeah, dunya and akhirah. Yeah, because uh, my concern to what you just mentioned earlier right now is that many parents they would love to inspire their children and they want them to be successful, but unfortunately, we put their himma. In matters are halal, don't, don't take me wrong, in matters halal to become successful you know, in, their, in their career, successful in their marital life, successful in this, successful in that. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if we always channel the energy of our children uh, in a way that is meaningful to us as parents, rather than what is meaningful to them in their future, 
that becomes problematic. Which is why Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu says, قَالْ أَدِّبُوا أَبْنَاءَكُمْ لِزَمَانِهِمْ لَا لِزَمَانِكُمْ فَإِنَّمَا خُلِقُوا فِي زَمَانٍ غَيْرِ زَمَانِكُمْ When you raise your children, raise them for their time, not your time. Because they've been created in a time different than yours. When parents, they keep insisting on raising their children in a way that makes it meaningful to themselves. Like, I did this, I, I always wanted to do this, I wish I had somebody to tell me to do this and that and so on and so. Yeah, but that was your time, man. Their time is different. They now, their aspiration is something way beyond what you calculate to be the measurement of success. So we need to cultivate our kids, inshallah ta'ala, you know, high ambition, high aspirations. Even if they needed something for the akhirah, for the deen, we need to cultivate that. We need to help them that with that, inshallah ta'ala, while they can still be successful in the dunya. We want them also to be successful ultimately in the akhirah as well too, inshallah ta'ala. Wallahu a'lam. We'll take questions right now, inshallah. Where's the microphone? Someone didn't ask a question before. Let's see those who didn't ask questions before. Who has the microphone? Yeah, I got it. You got it? Okay, Zakhla. <clears throat> By the way, yesterday we didn't take from the sisters. Can we start with the sisters this time? Because last night we didn't get a chance to ask, take a question from the sisters' side, inshallah. Um, I had a question about when we make a dua, um, normally we would feel the suppression of the ambition. And I wanted to know the difference between the suppression by the nafs or the shaitan. And how can we tell the difference between this and that? Can you elaborate a little further, Inshallah, sister? So, yeah. yeah, sometimes I feel like my ambition is suppressed due to like, I can't tell if it's because of my own nafs telling me I can't do it, or if it's just waswas from the shaitan. Mm -hmm. So you're saying the ambition in the talab is, is suppressed, right? So it's like it's impossible, you can't do it. Yes. Um, I think that it's probably, so, so what you find from Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala, and this is actually something I'd like Shaykh Yasser to weigh into, so it's not a definitive answer per se. Um, he attributed bad thinking to the shaitan, but not in a way that was like escapist. So in these, these constant khawatir of his, these, these thoughts of his, where he comes to another thought and another thought, and he'll say, I'm making dua, and then the shaitan comes. Then he said, then I started to talk to my nafs. Right? So we, we went through that actually in, in the, the, the chapter on unanswered du'as. Remember the shaitan is the whisper, the nafs is, the, is what takes it in, right? is affected by it, right? So the nafs is what does or doesn't. The shaitan is the, the messenger that's sort of putting in certain messages and polluting and, and things of that sort. So it's not, it's not entirely helpful, nor will you really be able to figure out which one is causing that doubt, if you will, in it. However, I think that this is where one of my favorite ad'iyan, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned this as one of the best du'as. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, you support me. A'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Right? So you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah is the enabler. So you're asking Allah to enable you. And so the, the way that you kind of start to overcome that is to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more powerful than the plots of shaitan and he is also the completer of the deficiencies of the ask of the one who's making the asker the ask of the asker the one who's making the ask right Allah's 
Allah's blessing overcomes the, deficiency we, the deficiencies that we have, as well as the plots of the devil. And so focusing back on Allah Azawajal and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable, to enable, to enable. Rabbi inni maghloob. Like I'm defeated, fantasr. Right, so asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to support, to aid, and to enable. Do you have anything, Shaykh Yasser? SubhanAllah, I think uh, if I want to add one more thing to what you said, so you make dua for certain high aspiration, high ambition you would like to accomplish and achieve, but then you see the circumstances are not getting you where you're aspiring to, right? So my dua is to accomplish this. My dua is always ask Allah to help me to do this and accomplish this and so on. But then I see my circumstances are not taking me where I'm, I'm, I'm really feel ambitious to achieve and accomplish. So what does that exactly mean right now? Does it mean that I'm making the wrong dua? Does it mean that my dua was an answer? Should I change my career? Should I change my path? How should I understand this circumstance, this dilemma right now? Honestly, you could look at it from different perspectives. Uh, sometimes, again, if you trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's judgment, you realize whatever you ask for, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already answered your call. And we mentioned that earlier before. Allah has answered your call in one way or another. Sometimes we can't maybe comprehend why now, but ultimately if you have your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you realize at some point in life, you know, looking backwards, you're like, subhanAllah, that was amazing. So maybe you're asking for a specific thing that you believe this is my aspiration to accomplish this, to become a, this, let's say, career, for example. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that, you know what? Maybe it's not. You're looking for success, for example. You're looking for joy. You're looking for happiness. Maybe you're looking for um, to help the ummah in certain way and so on. A lot of things we had in our mind. But Allah knows that if you accomplish what you're asking for, it might not get you what you're aspiring to get. So Allah may be directing you somewhere where it's much more easier or maybe achievable that will get you the exact same end results without having to accomplish that. I learned that, that subhanAllah also in the hard way really. And we learned that also from the story of Al-Khidr and Musa salam. Sometimes we, we, uh, we put so much effort and energy in certain areas only to realize that if you truly, if you truly have uh, this sincere intention in, in doing something and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that sincerity and know it's good for you, He will make the whole world, the whole world will conspire to make it happen to you. Everything suddenly tries to channel you to where you should go. And I'm sure that each and every one of us had a story to tell about themselves. Like I thought everything in my life was going the wrong direction until one day in my life, in retrospect, I look back and it's like, wow. All these what I once thought to be wrong direction, wrong, wrong turns were the actual right turns to get me where I am today. So I don't know what's your story yet, but it's still in the writing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is helping you one chapter at a time. So it's not over yet to say, well, if I'm not going to get this in the next two years, it means that's it, it's over for me. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving you this is your challenge so you can find a higher aspiration, inshallah ta'ala, not just in two years, maybe in five, seven, or ten years. Those who strive in our path, we will guide them to our paths, streams back to the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to that next step in the night on your journey. No, go ahead. Assalamu alaikum How do we become good scholars? How to start? What books to read? How to balance between deen and dunya? So he is now seizing the opportunity, right? <laughs> how to become a scholar, how to become a student of knowledge. Well, we just started, alhamdulillah, Rabbi The first thing is really with intention, honestly. The first thing has to be with intention. 
and not just an intention. It's, just, it's not, look, there's a difference between really intending to do something with, the, bar, with the, the, the burning desire and just wishing for something. Wishing to be a scholar is one thing that can fade out you know, after you leave the session. But if you truly want to be a scholar, like Imam Al-Bukhari once was asked, he was asked, uh, uh, how did you, how were you able to memorize all these ahadith? I mean, like, wow, how can I do this? Uh, he said, Qala, um, uh, uh, he said, um, no, he was asked a different question. He, goes, he would ask, do you know any medicine that helps people to memorize? He said, like, I don't know any medicine to help people memorize and learn better than nahmat al-rajul wa kathrat al-nadar. The ardent burning desire that comes from the inside, that you really and tr truly want this, Seriously, that you're willing to sacrifice everything to get it. And the second thing, kathra to another, which means what? Insistent and consistent on the path. You can't just wish for something to be a scholar and then you start with one book and then you finish chapter one and just go, inshallah, come back later, inshallah ta'ala. It's not gonna happen. It's actually, it's a long journey, but it starts from now. And there is no right time for it to say, inshallah, when I finish my degree, I will start learning the knowledge. When I get married, I will, inshallah, have time, you know, to start studying the deen and so on and so You have to have that journey part of your life. It's part of your fabric as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a long process, obviously. But if I were to recommend anything, people, the first thing they need to start with, to, to read really about seeking knowledge, is looking for the books that talks about the etiquette of seeking knowledge. Because before you start learning, you need to learn the adab of how to do it. The etiquette of doing it right. Because you might have all the information, but with bad akhlaq and bad manners, what's the point of all of that? So seek knowledge by starting with etiquette of seeking knowledge. I remember at least when I was starting Medina University, my first year, alhamdulillah, that year we didn't have any research paper to submit. So I had plenty of time. And all my spare time, I can remember, all my spare time I spent in looking for every book that was on the market or even manuscript in the Mazin Nabawi's uh, uh, library that talks about seeking knowledge. I listened to, at the time was cassettes, tapes. I actually read books. I went to Mazin Nabi Salam, I checked some manuscript as well too. And I made my own summary, that summary of actually how to seek knowledge. I still have it today at home as a manuscript in itself. But that year of learning, the entire first year of my university, was just about learning how to seek knowledge. Alhamdulillah I Now, I'll add to that. It's, it's actually a good question, but I, but I want to answer it in a way that's beneficial, inshallah, to everyone. You know, with the, the amount of access to information that we have now, that is actually a hindrance no. to more scholarship in the ummah. Similar to how GPS's are a hindrance to people knowing how to get around the corner now. I mean, we have, now you can plug something in your GPS and get somewhere, but like, if you realize, we've actually chipped away at a competency that Allah put in our minds. Like, if you, we lived in a time where we used to not have GPS's and get places, hours away sometimes, you know, using a, a map or something like that, or stopping at gas stations, and, and you had to remember this place down the street, you had to remember that building, you had to remember intersections. That was a competency that Allah gave us, right? And we, we've forgone it because of convenience. And when it comes to ilm, when it comes to knowledge, there's so many, there are so many dimensions to ilm. Number one, like now we have a maktab al-shamila, for example. Right? You have a shamila, you can just go look up any book, you know, plug in Sayyid al-Khatir, uh, get the copies, and subhanAllah still, we have mistakes for nusakh, <laughs> in the copies. So Sheikh Yasser's uh, tahqiq is different from the one I'm reading on my, on my computer. 
or on my on my uh, iPad, and they're printing errors and things of that sort. But like, but uh, that's a two generations as well. <laughs> yeah, there you I, go. iPad versus iPad versus hard copy. I mean, that book was in my office, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> it has my name on it, man. <laughs> um, but you know, Subhanallah, like I can just go look this up and go look it up. And I'm telling you that when when the Prophet mentions a time will come where you have more qurra, less fuqaha, more reciters, less jurists, uh, the imposters will will be plentiful, right? Because hey, I can I can go and I can just you know enroll in this university and I can just get by, right? And I can always just do my research online, put this paper together, and I'm done. But that's not talab al-ilm. Talab al-ilm is the stuff you do after class, before class. It's when you go home and you read the book again. It's when you read, if you take a dars and hadith, you go home and you start doing ilm al-rijal, you start going through every single one of the narrators of, in the Sanad, and you start reading the biography of that person, and then starting to make connections, why this person did this, why this person did that. Talab al-ilm is not talab al-ijaza, and it's not talab al-information, right? It's, it's different. It's, You've got to immerse yourself in this. And just like the great doctors are the people that put in the extra time, they're not people that just get by in med school, they're the people that really put something into their craft. Ilm uh, is not something that can be attained without being absolutely in love with this, with this stuff. Like you've got to love the Qur'an, you've got to love the hadith of the Prophet you've got to love the seerah, you've got to love the tafasir. You can't become complacent with yourself. So, and, and I say that for everyone here, and that's why I said it's for the broader audience, like, if you are not happy with not being able to have access to some of these texts, you know, that's good. <laughs> Do something about that. Uh, work on your, your competency level, inshallah ta'ala. Work on your knowledge. Put in the time. Be consistent with the halaqat. Be consistent with the ilm that's presented to you. I mean, look at us in Valley Ranch. I mean, our Tuesday and Wednesday halaqas have like 30 people. Okay? Uh, sorry to like uh, call out the community on camera, by the way. You know, mashallah, the masjid is full, like, you know, how many people said I'm going to move to Dallas so I can attend all the lectures? And not that our lectures, well, not, you know, are, are of such grand caliber, we're putting it on the level of, of the teachers that we had. But like, it's ilm at the end of the day, it's talab al-ilm, and you chose to instead sit at home, if even like have it YouTube or Facebook playing in the background. Like, that's not, remember your intention. So dedicate yourself to being a student of knowledge, the etiquette of a student of knowledge. Asking Allah, Rabbi zidni ilma. Pondering, contemplating, tarku dhunub, tarku maasi, leaving off the sins. Allah is not going to give this life, this light to a heart that doesn't have life. Pray with it, uh, ponder upon it, try to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with it, inshallah ta'ala you'll grow. So that's my message to I think everyone here. Don't get complacent after Ramadan with your ilm, just like you shouldn't get complacent with your ibadah after Ramadan. Sister Sai. Assalamu alaikum. So my question is regarding uh, the long age. Once we think about long age, we do have challenges and distractions and risk because we do feel content and happy we are right now and we are like feel motivated towards our religion. But like once we go out and get distracted with the worldly affairs, so to stay on the straight part is not easy. So the sooner we die, the challenge is over. But keep like wishing for a long life is like you have to keep challenge yourself every day and fight your nafs every day. So in the end, I sometimes think the sooner you die, the challenge is over and you just try to 
be done with it because the fight with the nafs is not easy. What do you think, sir? Mujahadat al-nafs is not easy, which is why it's so rewardable. Every time you seek to overcome an impulse, a distraction, a disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're again, you're, you're growing your harvest for the day of judgment with the night ta'ala. And so the beauty of our deen as well is that there is an example for a person of every occupation, a person of every age, a person of every status. You know, by the way, I think one of the, one of the uh, faults that we have and flaws that we have in how we study our deen and how we study our history is that we impose exclusively Western notions of success upon our Islamic tradition to where we almost render the other ones meaningless. There is great blessing in the, the person who is of this level or that level. There's great blessing in the person who is one of the akhfiyat, who's hidden and concealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like your only standard of greatness is not, and in fact it's not a standard of greatness in and of itself, it can actually be a fitna, is not your worldly success, it's not likes, it's not followers, it's not legacy that's in textbooks. It's akhfiyat, right? You know, there's, a, there's greatness in there, you know? There's greatness in people, the, the baker we talked about in the story of Imam Ahmed rahimahullah ta'ala, there's greatness that is there. There is greatness in old age and young age. There is greatness in career and there is greatness in family. There is greatness in the homemaker. There is greatness in the person that is achieving outside of the home. There is greatness. There are paths. There are subul, paths to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through all of those different occupations. And as Imam Malik rahimahullah said, Allah azawajal has you know, uh, allotted these, these forms of path, the way that he's allotted a risk, like sustenance, like your pathway back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you find it, and you say, this is how I'm going to exert myself. We have stories of elderly people in the tradition that started very, very, very late. One of Shaykh Yasser's favorite ulama to speak about, Ibn Hazm rahimahullah ta'ala, very, very late. I mean, how old was he when he started his ilm, Shaykh, his pursuit? He was actually way late in his life. Way, he was know, busy in politics before that. Yeah, very old, subhanAllah, when he just started to like get into knowledge. Uh, I always remember Shaykh Omar al-Ashqar, rahimahullah, his mom, his, he and his, uh, and his brother, Shaykh Muhammad al-Ashqar is the scholar of fiqh. Uh, Shaykh Omar al-Ashqar is the scholar of aqidah, right? I mean, they're, they're a great family of scholars, and their mother was illiterate. And I think she learned to read in her 60s, and then she memorized the Qur'an in her 70s. I mean, like, she, she became literate, and then became a hafidah after the age of 60. I mean, she was in her 70s when she became a hafidah. And it was like just this burst, right? Like, I have meaning, I have value, I have something to do. And so, sometimes that's important, you know, the, the, the elderly uh, in our community as well, people that become older in, their, in our community, like the pathways to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are still far ahead of you. Allah azawajal has given you a path. Everyone should take the path, should try to ponder upon what that path is and then take it back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to um, uh, add to the point that you mentioned in regards to how we measure success in this life with the worldly matters. But subhanAllah, if you look at those who have the highest uh, positions in Jannah, those who have the, the, the VIP stations and positions in Jannah, the Prophet gave us a description of that. Whom did he say, sallallahu who will be the closest to him in Jannah, Jama'ah? Those who have good manners. You don't, have to, you don't need a degree for this. You don't need money for this. You need absolutely nothing of this dunya. All what you need is just good character. That's it. Self-discipline, how to treat people. 
whether they're foes or, or friends or this or that, deal with them in good akhlaq and manners, that's an ultimate success in the dunya and the akhirah. That's the ultimate success. Another one, the Prophet says, Ana wa The one who sponsored an orphan will be like this with me in Jannah. That is an ultimate success. So if you always measure success by worldly measurement, like if we, the kind of success we're talking about today in this world is really manufactured concept of success. Like you have to have a degree, you have to have this amount of money, you have to have this kind of car, you have to have this portfolio, you have to have this, you have to have that. Only then you'll be able to consider to be a successful person. But when you look at their akhlaq, they're bankrupt. Yep. What's the point of this? So we need to reorient our minds, really. Uh, the paradigm shift that should come with this experience in the month of Ramadan is against telling us, look, alhamdulillah, I was so much worried and indulging in the dunya before Ramadan. I was so busy. My mind was so distracted. And I spent these beautiful days and nights in the masjid, mashallah, it gave me this sense of serenity and beauty and so on. And now everybody's just holding on to this hope that, oh my God, I wish this is not going to come to an end. Because we experience a different level of success, Sajima. And that success is out of this world. Now, if we're going to stop taking that path, we're going to go back to the old ways, right? And the old ways, we're going to have to fight for that manufactured concept of success that might make people tell us you're successful, but it doesn't give me any value personally. So I hope that we can understand that when it comes to successful life, no matter how long it is, as long as you have it, alhamdulillah, in good manners, Allah is blessing you with more opportunities to become even at a higher level of success, inshallah. Wallah. If we have two minutes, should we take another question? One question from the brother, inshallah. Go ahead, last oh, question, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Uh, two questions. The second one, 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 one is it one. The second one, are we having a session tomorrow or not? That's my second question. Yes. Uh, we are? Yes, we have a session tomorrow night, inshallah. Oh, Jazakallah khair. And at the same time, by the way. 3 a.m. Jama'ah. Inshallah. Actually, 1 a.m. Uh, so my question is actually, looking over the last few days, uh, the, the, all the topics, it, they're relatable, um, we all struggle with, um, and we can talk about to the kids. The only topic that I have kind of little difficulty with is the concept of the delayed gratification, the mujahedat uh, nafs how you can start talking about a concept like this, a concept like this with the kids. Mm. It's in this kind of certain age, living right here, it's kind of you push a button on everything at your doorsteps. How are you? training uh, young kids to actually learn that concept. Well, it's just very difficult. You're the parent, uh, parent expert. I'm well, still figuring it out. My kids are all adults <laughs> right now. Sure. My, my kids are adults right now, so it's too late for that. <laughs> no, but seriously, subhanAllah, one of the concepts, of course, of parenting, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the whole Quran, the concept of the Quran is what? To believe, to believe in the ghayb, the unseen, which means we need to learn that it's, you need to teach your children it's all about sometimes the journey rather than really the destination. I mean, your kids might be uh, wanting to get this for them, this thing from you. You want to, I want them to, I want to buy this thing. Um, and like the Sheikh was talking about, subhanAllah, the life of convenience can be disastrous, really. Our kids living this life of convenience, you know, they have everything available for them. It's under the tip of their button. They want something, they go order it on Amazon, for example. There's no effort in it, really. So it, it doesn't, they might be gratified today, tomorrow, after tomorrow, but then later on, it doesn't give them that joy anymore. So sometimes we're going to have to teach our children to resist the urge of getting something right now. Uh, maybe teach our children to the concept of saving for it. You want to buy this? Let's save for it, inshallah, until next year, next Eid, for example. Uh, help your kids to uh, enjoy sometimes the struggle, the sweetness of always you know, remembering it and uh, uh, dreaming about having it or this and that. 
All these things can give our kids, alhamdulillah, that sense of, you know, gratification when they finally acquire it. And hopefully, sometimes, you know, sometimes in the process, they themselves will come to realization that it's not a big deal anymore. Before even they acquire it, but they've enjoyed the skill, alhamdulillah, Rabbil Ameen, of learning how to control their urges. Wallahu alam. I just want to, as, as we conclude now, I just want to say Jazakumullah khairan to all of you. Uh, you make it special for us as well. I know that you often are saying Jazakumullah khairan to us, but uh, to have people sitting attentively every single night, mashallah, focused, paying attention, asking questions, engaging, uh, it is special, mashallah, and it's a part of what makes this such a special program at VRIC. So Jazakumullah khairan, and I hope, inshallah, you come back tomorrow, inshallah, to all of you. Uh, but even if you don't, just uh, I just wanted to thank you all for being here. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. By the way, tarawih tomorrow.